Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older folks howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about funding for the arts and what's happening to younger performers. We muse on the need for handshaking in a post-COVID world. We reveal the growing practice of car insurers installing monitors in their clients' cars. We report on the unexpected discoveries surgeons are finding in some of their patients. And we bring you the good news that it's never too late to get a tattoo. The Old Dog's Conversation is with Sandy Hardwick and Shirley Pettis, two ladies who left behind the high cost of living in the States for the pleasures of living in Costa Rica. Stay with us. Well, Paul, what is on your mind? Uh, well, uh, I was seeing a report on CNN about uh, the fact that smaller arts organizations are going under because yeah, they're, they're yeah. not well-funded. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the concert venues. We're right. talking about uh, small nightclubs. And, and these are places where younger artists put their act together, so to speak. Right. And so I'm, I'm a little concerned that that's going to be a problem in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because, of course, there is a lot of conversation right now about small arts-based organizations being in trouble because their revenues have dried up and wondering if those organizations will survive. And in many cases, they probably won't. But I hadn't really thought about the fact that a lot of younger artists who have yet to become famous, that was the place where they developed their art and developed their audience, right? Right. Well, any art that needs an audience to kind of perfect the craft, Mm. uh, comedy clubs. Uh, Right, right. Uh, You know, that's my background. Your background as as a musician would be the smaller jazz venues. Small nightclubs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh And, And you need the audience, and that's what's been missing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to perfect your craft in your closet, you know? Well, that's really a good point. Now, I know that there are a, a lot of cases where small music or arts-based organizations are offering their material online uh, so that they can continue to generate awareness of what they do. And they do feature individuals who are creating the art of one kind or another. But this is all basically free. And the only way they can do it is by whatever funding they are still managing to maintain, because nothing is free to the presenter. (laughs) It's still going to cost them money to present it. Right. I I have noticed that some of them are charging or suggesting a donation, but it's still not the sums that they're used to when they were in a performing venue. But, uh, okay. you know, what's what's going to replace it, Jim? We have younger artists now that are coming up in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to go uh, to perfect their craft? Because these smaller venues are disappearing. Yeah. Well, of course, you know that in certain cases, YouTube has provided the kind of venue in which younger artists can succeed. But that is only to some extent. For example... I don't know how dancers would create a following on YouTube, but maybe they do. The The point is that we have online methods of creating awareness, uh, 
but I don't know where the generation of revenue comes from creating that awareness. Well, not only revenue, but I, I think the synergy with an audience uh-huh. is very important to art. Certainly yeah. as a comedian. Well, as a comedian, yeah. If you, you don't know if a line is funny unless you say it in front of an audience. So what are we going to see replacing it? Maybe we're going to see uh, door-to-door art. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, n- right. Knock, knock, knock. You guys having dinner? Would you like uh, our trio to play for you while you're having dinner? Okay, you know what? Um, my neighborhood might be a good example of that because uh, every week my neighborhood promotes – uh, the presence of food trucks at the clubhouse in the neighborhood. Uh, maybe we could also promote the presence of performance groups and that there could be some kind of gathering, even now, where we could appreciate live performances and pay for them, just as we appreciate live delivery of food and pay for it. Yeah. I mean, there's a possibility that that we could create a kind of neighborhood venue for material like that. Well, I I have seen some offerings for open-air concerts. Right, downtown. Open-air events. Right. And maybe that's a possibility. But I also think door-to-door is is an interesting (laughs) option, Jim. I'll tell you what. You get that going, and then let me know how it's working out. Okay, you got it. Pass the hat. The handshake greeting has been replaced by the elbow touch during the COVID epidemic. Maybe retiring the handshake should be permanent. This item is from the Scientific American for August 2020. Steve Mursky, in his anti-gravity column in Scientific American, suggested that the handshake is a dated concept. The custom originated in the ancient practice of grasping the weapon hand of an enemy during a truce to make sure the weapon hand remained empty. Nowadays, a handshake is the simplest way for two people to exchange germs, viruses, and the remnants of lunch. (laughs) We're already used to not doing it. Maybe we should retire it permanently, like fighting duels to defend your honor. Well, you know, I've always found the handshake to be a little awkward. Yeah. Uh, For example, do you use a two-handed clasp? Do you match the strength of your opponent in a handshake? Yeah. Well, Paul, what about other options? You know, if you recall from past years, there was give me some skin, yeah. maybe a high five. I still do that. Yeah, really. So what do we do instead? Some options are a Japanese bow, uh, a Hindu palms together, namaste, a military salute, or maybe a simple, hey, what's up? Whatever we choose, it's got to be better than a handshake followed by a dab of sanitizer, <laughs> don't you think? Yep. So, what do you think out there? Let us hear from you at our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. Tell us what's shaking. Car insurance is getting more costly. One way to get a discount is to let your insurer ride shotgun electronically. This item is from the New York Times for July 16, 2020. If you are willing to give up a little privacy, insurance companies are offering various apps that monitor your behavior while behind the wheel. Roughly 10 to 20 percent of customers are choosing these programs in the hopes of saving some money. The data recorded by these apps can include braking, acceleration, speed, miles driven, and cell phone use while driving. Ooh, I get about two out of five there. <laughs> the savings can range from 10 to 50% if your data indicates you're a safe driver. 
But some programs may actually raise your rates if your driving seems a little risky or your mileage is excessive. For now, these programs are optional, but some insurance agents predict that in 10 to 15 years, most policies will be based on monitoring your driving. If you're one of those people who drive 50 miles an hour on the freeway, (laughs) well, this might be a good option. No, that's not me. I don't think I would willingly want my insurance company looking over my shoulder. Yeah, yeah here, I, here. I couldn't afford the premium that my driving would deserve. There are other ways to save money on car insurance, like uh, sell your car, buy a bicycle, ride the bus, Uber it maybe. Oh, sure. What about hitchhiking? Remember that? <laughs> That's safe. Remember when your mom said not to put anything in your ear smaller than your elbow? Yep. Well, that advice probably extends to other parts of your body, too. This pod nugget is from the brief news segment in the August 31st, September 7th edition of Time magazine. A piece of a Lego arm fell out of a seven-year-old boy's nose in New Zealand. Apparently, the Lego piece had found a good place to hide because he had pushed it up his nose two years ago. The reason for putting the piece in his nose was unclear, but we should acknowledge that it was done very well. The boy has a future as a smuggler, don't you think? I think so, yeah. A Russian man complained about hearing loss in 2018. Well, there was a good reason. Doctors removed a two-inch nail from his skull that had lodged there during a home renovation accident a few years earlier. The man had forgotten the event because he was (laughs) drunk at the time. (laughs) Okay. Fortunately, his surgeon nailed the operation and his hearing was restored. A 30-year-old Australian woman was experiencing intense stomach pain in 2017. Don't you hate that? Oh, yeah. An examination revealed a two-and-a-half-inch piece of metal in her intestines. The metal was part of her dental braces, which had been removed a decade before. The woman was unaware of swallowing the piece of her braces, since this was the first time she had experienced any side effects. She wasn't aware of swallowing (laughs) it, okay? Well, here's one that tops that. Okay. And finally, in 2011, a CT scan revealed a felt-tip pen in the stomach of an elderly woman in England. The lady swallowed it 25 years earlier while trying to look at her tonsils in a mirror. <laughs> uh, I do that all the time. Oh, really? When the pen was removed, doctors found it still worked. <laughs> so let's hope the lady was able to write off the operation. Uh, we can't make this stuff up. If we did, we'd put it on Facebook. You think there's an age limit for a tattoo, Paul? I haven't thought of it, you know. Well, 50, 70? I don't know. How about 103? This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for August 17th, 2020. We always like to salute seniors who are still howling at the moon. Our current honoree is Dorothy Pollock of Holton, Michigan, who decided to get her first tattoo to celebrate her 103rd birthday in June. Specifically, she got a frog on her right forearm. Unlike most tattoos, it wasn't alcohol-related, but it might have been motivated a bit by being stir-crazy due to COVID-19. She was riding around with a girlfriend of her grandson when she blurted out that she really thought she needed a tattoo. 
Pollock has always been a bit spunky. She's a former bartender and drugstore sales clerk who worked until she was well into her mid-90s. She even bowled in a league until a year and a half ago. So the tattoo impulse didn't seem that unusual. Well, the tattoo artist was happy to help her cross that item off her bucket list. In fact, he helped her cross off another item by giving her a motorcycle ride around the parking lot. So, what's next for Dorothy? Well, she's looking at going skydiving. That's the way to howl at the moon. You go, Dorothy. Paul, what kind of tattoo would you get if you got a tattoo? I think property hell's angels. (laughs) (laughs) Sandy Hardwick and Shirley Pettis are a couple of gals who, like many others, found the cost of living a bit too much to remain stateside. So they packed up and moved to Costa Rica. There they found more than cheap living. They found a new community of friends, both expat and local, and a new acceptance for who they are. Uh, I tell you what, to start things off, take us through the decision that you made to move to Costa Rica. Okay. Well, we decided to move to Costa Rica because we came here. We came here, we fell in love, and said, oh, this is cool. Costa Rica has like at least 32 um, microclimates, so you can find any temperature you want. And then um, when we found out that it had microclimates, I said, we need to find some place that's 75 degrees year-round average. We uh, missed the mark a bit, but it's about 78, 77 year-round. Can't complain about that. And we did look at Panama first because Panama had a lot of things for expats, a lot of things, a lot of discounts and stuff like that. But um, I... People who are listening to this, I'm uh, redheaded and freckled. And as my honey would say, I burnt like a crispy critter there. So (laughs) so we said, no, we got to find someplace else. And I've taken care of my skin good here and have not burned in four years. I think I've gotten two or three sunburns. That's it. Well, you guys were both medical professionals. What's the healthcare like in Costa Rica? It's socialized medicine. We are part of a private situation, a private hospital. Uh, once you become a resident, which we are working on and has not come to fruition yet, um, you have to buy into the socialized medicine. But paying for socialized medicine here is going to cost us maybe $75 a month. Maybe 75 to 100 For both of us. To $100 wow. a month. And what we have right now is we have a um, private. private discount plan where you can say 40 to 80%. And I was sick and had a severe migraine and they did IV pain medications, watched me for several hours. The doctor checked on me every 20 minutes. I had nurses watching me. I also got a CAT scan and lab work and medications to take that were for about two weeks. The total bill of that was just under a thousand dollars. So it's a lot more affordable from that perspective. And the, a lot of the doctors are, North American trained. So there are a lot of them who understand what we know as well. So um, that's helpful. Um, One of the things we also know is that when I was researching before we moved here, uh, Costa Rica was ranked as like the number three for medical tourism. Medical tourism being that people come to our country to have medical procedures done. So your judgment is that the quality of care is pretty good. <laughs> oh, it's very yeah, that, good. Yeah, that's it. And and also, uh, since we're talking medical, we're going to kick in dental too because there's a lot of dental tourism that happens here too. 
And we actually found a biodentist here. The only biodentist in Central America. Right. Let me, let me continue this for a bit. Uh, what about Medicare? I have Part A because I just, see, Sandy's not 65 yet, so she's not even qualified. Um, I have Part A because I am 65. I am not buying Part B because I'm not going to come back to that country to get my medical procedures done. If I have to have something medically done, it will be done here. But it doesn't apply to Costa Rica, right? You have to go back to the States to capitalize on Medicare, right? Be paying into it. You have to you have to do part B. You have to pay for part B from the beginning. If you don't, and you all of a sudden decide I'm going back to the States, I just want to use my Medicare, you have to pay all the back. Yeah. And some people used to do that. We don't think we will, and we're planning on staying here. For the rest of our lives, and the medical care is quite good. Um, we don't have any problems. We know some people have had challenges here, but we have not. But we're also very healthy people. So you have been there for four years. Why did you decide to leave the country? Was there a particular reason, or was it just wanderlust? What what happened? Well, when I turned forty five, I did a little freak out, going, "Oh my God, I don't have enough money saved up." I don't have enough retirement. I wasn't working a full-time job. And the way I worked and the way we both worked was that we weren't accumulating money from for pensions. And so it was like, okay, we're going to have to find another way to afford to live. Costa Rica is not the cheapest place to live in Central America, but it's the most stable place to live in Central America in terms of government as far as I know, and is reasonable. I mean, we couldn't afford to live in the States without, we're going to have to work for the rest of our lives. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And the, we could easily live on, we, we live a little beyond it right now, but we could easily live on the amount that it was for our mortgage, insurance, and um, taxes a month. And I'll give a ballpark in Houston, where we live, it was $2,000 a month. That was his mortgage. And what's interesting is our taxes, our car insurance, and our house insurance here in Costa Rica is $2,000 a year. Mm. Now, there are some things that are more expensive here, but there is no way that we're going to be able to lead the life that we wanted to in Houston and not have to continue working. Well, let's talk about availability of food. You know, we are spoiled in this country. You uh, drive a couple of blocks to the Kroger's and uh, and you're all set. What is it like for you to gather your food supplies? I'll talk about that since I'm the one who's doing it right now. The cool thing is we go to what's called the Feria, La Feria, which is the farmer's market. And right now with COVID, I'm going about every two weeks and we get our fresh um, vegetables there. And that's about a 15 minute drive. And so we go to the butcher shop called the Carniceria. Um, they do have a couple grocery stores in our town, so we can go there. Okay. And, of course, you raise your own, too. Oh, yeah. And I'm gardening. And we have at least six producing fruit trees on our property. And we're growing more. Have your tastes changed since you've moved? No, I think they've expanded. Because in Houston, Shirley's an excellent cook. In Houston, we would, um, she would cook Tex-Mex, um, Italian, Mediterranean, Thai, 
And we have adapted to being here. It's not like, oh my God, I have to go to the expensive store that brings in U.S. foods. So how's the Spanish coming? I am taking a Spanish course once a week. Uh, it's on Zoom now. Um, and, um, you know, poquito. Uh, hablo. <laughs> okay. Yo hablo bastante y um, mi español está mucho más mejor antes y muchas personas no necesitan yeah, well, I knew Sandy was speaking it pretty well, so let her do the talking. You'll be okay. Yeah, basically. But for people anticipating moving, though, they should be prepared to learn some Spanish to navigate the country, correct? You don't have to. You don't have to, but it's much easier if you do. People like it and appreciate you when you try. So mm -hmm. turning back to leaving uh, Houston, leaving the States for just a moment, I'm sure that you left friends behind. Have you found new friends? Do you miss your old friends? Uh, what's the situation with your, let's say, your social life? Well, we don't miss our old friends as much as um, we could because we Zoom with them on a regular basis for the most. Paul and Susan are hard to keep up with, but... Um, <laughs> And, and that's what's and going on in the States, too. I mean, we're right. staying yes. in contact by Skype yes. and Zoom. And So have you made new friends? Uh, uh, for example, uh, do you have an expat community that you hang out with, or do you prefer to socialize with uh, more indigenous folks? Uh, yes. Okay, got <laughs> it. So we have Gringo friends that we do things with, or we did before COVID, and... We, uh, we love being with our, um, they're called Ticos. Costa Ricans call themselves Ticos. And we Ticos. love being with our Tico family, our Tico friends. Was the uh, the native population, were they accepting when you first moved there? Absolutely. Absolutely. More so than the, some of the gringos. Hmm. And they still check on us. We have people that um, check on us regularly. And the cool thing, um, people who are listening to this, we are a African descent woman and a white woman. We're lesbians and we are accepted totally by the Ticos. They do not have a problem with us being lesbians or being an interracial couple. And because Shirley is black, that is special here. And she's called La Negra, which is the black one. So we are actually accepted very well here by the indigenous and the local people. Well, you've been there now uh, off and on four years. Four. So what do you miss about living in the States and what don't you miss? Let's start with what you miss first. Getting to see our friends and family, being able to just come over and see you and have dinner with you and Susan and Savannah and those type of things. That's the biggest thing is just the family and friends. We don't miss the questioning of where we go, will we fit in? Are we accepted here? And we're in nature. We, we live on top of a ridge. We have 0.8 acres. And the nice thing about, especially with COVID, we've been able to enjoy all the views uh, and not go stir crazy like a lot of people have. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, as a uh, parting thought, if we have some of our listeners that are already packing up and heading out the door... <laughs> To join you. <laughs> to join what, you. What, what? Yeah, in your couch. Yeah. What advice would you give them about being real about making the move? Well, we were blessed in that we housed it for 20 months. 
So we got an opportunity to live here and know the area and know the area before we moved. So check things out with um, what you want. And, you know, those of you listening to the podcast, Shirley and I are very happy that if you want to connect with us, we're happy to answer questions. There's some questions like here, the Ticos, their housing, they do not plumb for hot water. So if you're staying places in Airbnbs and stuff like that, hot water has to be an amenity. You need you to, need to sure. check for hot water being an amenity on the list, stuff like that. So, and if you're going to move here, I would suggest you come and rent for some while and, and have an experience of the country without being a tourist. Because being a tourist anywhere is not the same as living there. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. All our episodes are available on our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. And there are a lot more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.